Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. Well, good morning, church. We'll be in John chapter 6 this morning, if you want to start turning there. John chapter 6. And as we get started, has anybody here been on a retreat? Like gone to a conference, gone to somewhere where like, hey, uh, yeah, you're going to go hang out. And it's usually with the idea of you're going to go there because some speaker or some conference and you're into it or you're learning more about it and they're going to train you more about it. And how many of those retreats you go to, it's just purely theory. You sit there at a ad nauseum and listen to somebody lecture, and you're like, okay, that was pretty good. I like that. And then after the fourth hour, you're like, okay, I'm done. I'm ready to go home. So Jesus, with his disciples, is going to take them this morning on a retreat. We're going to go from the mountaintops into water, and it's going to include some training. It's not just theory. And so turn to chapter 6 of John, and we'll start in verse 1 this morning. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain. There he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where do we buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Well, what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So Jesus takes the disciples on a retreat. And how does the retreat start? With a hike up a mountain. Separate yourself. Now go with Jesus. And the Passover is fast approaching. So Jesus goes across, leaves Jerusalem and goes across the sea. And before a large crowd gathers, he takes the disciples hiking up a mountain. Don't miss this point. You know, it's kind of cool that Jesus spent time with the disciples. And if you've ever been hiking or doing things physical with other people, it tends to draw you together. So Jesus says, hey, part of following me is hanging out with me, and let's go to this top of this mountain. 
So he starts the lesson, and he says, look out there, fellas. See the need. Jesus sees the large crowd coming, and he begins first lesson, day one. Jesus says to Philip, where do we buy bread so that these people may eat? And I love Philip's response. I take about $31,000 in Marion County money to feed these people, and they wouldn't get enough to eat. Then Andrew says to Jesus, basically, hey, there's this boy over here that's got a sack lunch. So Jesus takes him on a hike, and then he says, hey, guys, look at the need. See the need with me. Participate with me in this. Then the group lesson. Jesus says to the disciples, hey, I want you to participate with me. Go sit them all down. Go sit them all down. Go, hey, there's a lot of grass here. Sit everybody down and get them in groups. Then Jesus prays and distributes the bread and the fish, and they get as much as they wanted. Then the disciples participate again. Gather the leftovers, and we get 12 baskets. So he takes the boys up to the top of a mountain on the hike, Sets him down and he sees the crowd coming. And he uses it, hey, hey, uh, look, there's a need. These people are hungry. How many times into our lives do we see a need in a society and we got like five cents in our pocket to meet it? Jesus is like, hey, look, guys, here's a problem. There, here's a need. Here's some people coming and they're going to be hungry. Hey, uh, hey, you got any, how much, where are we going to go buy bread? Or on top of a mountain. Okay, and if we do, then, then the other response is, if we're going to carry, call in for carry out, it's going to take 31 G's to feed, just get them, everybody to get an appetizer. So Jesus has presented the need, and he says, hey, participate with me in meeting this need. What do you think the lesson is? Hey, I want you to participate with me, but I know that you can't do it. And I'm going to bring this loud and clear, because you're going to first go to, well, the 7-Eleven isn't close. Then if we had money to get to 7-Eleven, we couldn't afford all the subs from Subway to be delivered here. Or Firehouse, whichever one's your favorite. So the disciples participate with Jesus as he sees a need and meets that need. What does that sound like? Our definition for love. To see a need, to meet the need, and expect nothing in return. That's love. Boys, I'm going to give you a life lesson on loving people and loving a crowd, and you're going to meet their needs because I'm going to work with you. Notice that Jesus participates with the disciples in this incredible, miraculous feeding. They participated to meet a need. And the crowd responds with what? You are the prophet. Let's make you king. Now, we would kind of say the same thing. If you're out on a hike and you're hungry and all of a sudden thousands of people show up and you're able to feed them some incredibly good chow and they notice that, they'd be like, ooh, that guy is awesome. Make him king. We would probably do the same thing. But what does Jesus do? After he meets the need, he goes solo. He withdraws himself from the crowd, and the disciples. Hey, fellows, it's going to get a little bit rough. They want to make me king. My time is not yet. 
and I've met this need with them. I want you to participate with them, but I'm going to go and spend time by myself. This is that little verse that makes us introverts feel okay. Jesus spent time by himself. He spent time with a group, and then he spent time with a great big group, and then he goes by himself for a little solo time. So look what the teacher does on day one. Day one's pretty good. You show up at the conference, you show up at the retreat, and we're going to have a lesson. The lesson is you can't get it. But I'm going to help you be able to facilitate it. I want you to see a need and meet that need with me. And wow, it's going to be way more than you ever could have dreamt of being happened or accomplished. Then toward the night, the retreat leader goes by himself. In verse 16, we pick up retreat night number one. Verse 16 of John chapter 6. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the Sea of Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So the retreat, night number one. So you got retreat day number one. See the need, meet the need with me. Retreat night number one. Jesus is alone and the disciples say, hey, we got to go across the sea. It's nighttime. But the night doesn't go as planned. The storm blows in. The sails come down and they've only rowed three or four miles. Now, if you've ever been on the ocean, then the sea or on water, when things get rough, you realize a real impertinent physical need. You could die. The ocean has a way of describing to you that you're only this big. The power of water, it may just go play to the ocean. Deb loves this. It's not necessarily my favorite, but you know, go on the ocean, you get hit by that wave, so you get across the sand cheese grater and your belly's all raked up. Been there a couple times. But man, I've been on the water when the storm blows in. You're bailing for all you're worth, and my goodness, we're not going to make it. The night doesn't go as planned. And the sails are down, and you're rowing. Has anybody ever tried to row a boat and then go three or four miles? These, give the guys some credit. They rowed their tails off. It's a rough night. It's physically challenged. There's odds are they're going to be treading water in the dark. Then Jesus shows up for an evening stroll. Only God could do this. He's out for an evening stroll. This is a nighttime retreat. And been on a retreat, you go out by yourself and go for a walk. Jesus had him do that on the water. And so it's a little bit of hilly terrain because he's going over the waves and that, and he sees the fellas. Why were they so glad to see him? Well, first off, what was their first impression of when Jesus showed up? They're frightened. I think we would be too, right? You're rowing for all you got. You've been into it three or four miles. And then you're worrying about you're hallucinating because you sweated so bad or you're so lack of oxygen because you're out of shape or whatnot. And you're trying to stay alive. And all of a sudden you see a guy walking on the water. 
They were frightened. And Jesus says, it is I. Just a little footnote here. When God says, it is I, it's a big, big deal. When John's account of Jesus walking on the water is very unique, because the story's not about calming the sea, it's about calming who? The disciples. They were glad to get him in the boat. And then what happens? The boat somehow is, he, Jesus is rough. They're worried about going down with the ship. They see Jesus a little freaked about that. Then they get Jesus in the boat. They're all good. Then what immediately happens? The boat is off the shore where they're headed. So you've been at this all night long. The night is going as planned. You and your buddies in the boat are worried about going down. You see somebody walking across the water, you first freak out. Then Jesus says, it is I, don't be afraid. Calms them and then immediately gets them to their destination. Kind of like a Star Trek thing. What need did Jesus see? Okay, with the crowd, they were what? They were hungry. Jesus said, here's the need. Meet the need with me, fellas. Now you fellas go out for your evening stroll. Go for a rowing thing. It's a retreat. Go rowing. It'll be fun, they said. Jesus sees what? What's the need? They're going to die. Things aren't going well. The bilge pump can't keep up. Frank, you've been on the ocean fishing, right? You've been in rough seas. If the motor goes out and the bilge pump goes out and the motor goes out, what kind of day you have, night are you having? It's pretty rough. If your cell phone reception, just tell Sue to cash in a life insurance policy because we're going down. That's where the guys are. Jesus sees the need. Boys are in trouble. How does he meet that need? Calms them down and takes them right straight to shore. Though Jesus walking on the water account is seeing a need, meeting that need, and not expecting anything in, in return. He is loving them. So they got to see Jesus meet the need in people during the day. Lesson number one. Lesson number two was Jesus met our need. And both of these are incredibly physical. It's one thing to go a while without eating. We can kind of do that. But the whole I might die tonight on this water is a great big one. He sees a need. Says meet it with me. He sees a need in the second account. I will meet your physical need. So then he meet, the crowd shows up the next day. And this is where we read of the longer version this morning. We won't read it now. So the next morning, imagine this. The crowd that's been fed the day before wakes up and says, huh, there's no disciples. Their boats are gone. Jesus is gone. Ah, what do we do in the morning? We get hungry. That was some good bread yesterday. Did everybody check that out? We went from barley bread, which is basically, the, at the time, it would be like Publix leftover bread that was like on the shelf for free and take another one while you go. That's what barley bread was like. They, it's because Jesus turned the water to wine. That was some pretty good stuff. So if he made more bread, it had to be some top-notch bread. So morning wakes up and they said, hey, we're hungry. Where's breakfast? Hey, Jesus, where'd he go? Oh, no boat, so they had to leave. So let's follow him. So the crowd follows Jesus, and when they get there, what's the first thing they say? How'd you get here? Or when did you get here? 
Remember what Jesus did with the previous time when he act, interacted with physical to spiritual? They would ask a question here and he would respond with a spiritual response. He's going to do this again. I've met your physical needs. Now I'm going to talk about how I will meet your spiritual needs. And Jesus' response, hey, you're seeking me for food, not even for a cool sign. They're not showing up to see more bread miraculously appeared. They're just hungry. And Jesus calls them out on that. And he says, hey, you should work for food that endures to eternal life. If it's one thing that we want to instill in people is, hey, if you want bread, work for it. We will help you find a job or whatever, but you need to work for it. So Jesus acknowledges that, hey, y'all need to get to work. And the work I'm going to talk now is about spiritual food. You need to work for food that endures for eternal life, which I will give you. And by the way, the Father has put his seal on me, his signet ring. He's put his stamp of approval on me. So the next obvious question is, what works for God should we be doing then? We're hungry. Jesus responds, the work that you need to be doing is believing in me. For the Father has sent me to you. Then I like this one, prove it, guy. Our father, Moses, got food from heaven. We call that manna. And everybody knows it. Even in 2016, their kids in Sunday school know about manna. Do the manna thing. And Jesus corrects them and says, hey, it wasn't Mo that gave you the manna. My father sent that. And by the way, my father sent me to you. And the father now gives you true bread in me the bread of life that's come down from heaven and gives spiritual life. Look what Jesus is doing. Hey, you guys want the manna thing replicated? That worked. God took care of them and met their physical needs. I am spiritual manna that gives eternal life. I've come down from heaven to give you true and eternal life. He's making the transition from physical to spiritual. Even when they bring up Moses, hey, do what the Moses guy did. He's like, okay, I'll, I'll one-up that. I will give you eternal life because I am sent from God from heaven to give you spiritual life to this world. So the crowd answers, give us some of this bread. <laughs> I love the humor of the Bible. The lady at the well, when Jesus met her and says, hey, if you come to me, you'll never be thirsty again and there'll be a spring in you that never runs dry. It's like a Gatorade bottle that always quenches and never runs out. And what does she say? Hey, give me some of that water so I don't have to ever draw from this well ever again. So he gets to this point and the crowd says, give us some of that bread. Jesus answers, I am the bread of life. Come to me and never be hungry or thirsty again. Reminds us of the woman at the well. But Jesus knows them and says, you don't believe that I'm the bread of life, but all that the Father gives me will come, and whoever comes, I will accept and keep them. Jesus first acknowledges that there's some here that don't believe that I am the bread of life, but those who come to me, the Father has sent, and what is his response to the authority that the Father has given him? I will keep, I will accept, and then I will keep. Profound. The Father will send, and I will keep and I will accept. 
And I'm here to do the Father's will, to never lose any that the Father gives me. We may believe this morning that Jesus is our bread of life, but then we've had a really rough week and we kind of messed up Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Do I still get to go to the chow hall? Do I still get to accept me some Jesus? And am I still there? God, am I worried? What is, what is Jesus telling him? You believe me as the bread of life. It's not up to you. The Father is going to call you to me. And when you come to me, I ain't losing you. I won't lose you, and I'll keep you. The proactive work of God in our lives is from beginning to end. God sought us, God finds us, God keeps us, and accepts us, then keeps us. Yes, we do have to make a decision to follow Jesus. On the flip side of that, you come to Jesus, he's the one that's got you. The God of the universe who was sent from heaven says, you choose me, I got you. When he got in the boat, did he say, well, boys, I got you for the next quarter mile. Get back to rowing. No, I got you. We're at the shore. Do we trust Jesus that way spiritually? Jesus is the bread of life. And he's teaching the disciples about meeting physical needs with them and the crowd. And then he gets in front of the crowd and he does this physical to spiritual. And guess what the, fa- the crowd says at this point? Who in the world does this guy think he is? We know his family. He's not from heaven. I've seen Joe. I've seen Mary. And you know what, by the way, I think that, 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 that pregnancy thing didn't go right. Who does this guy think he is? Now, we would say the same thing, wouldn't we? You meet somebody on the street that's, you're, you're a bit hungry, and so they give you all this food, and like, hey, I'm from heaven. <laughs> all right, prove it. We would do the litmus test, wouldn't we? And so Jesus responds, don't grumble. The Father has taught you about me from the prophets, Old Testament. All the stories about me is coming true now. I've seen the Father. I've been in heaven. I have eternal life. The manna your ancestors ate was physical. I've come here from heaven to give you spiritual life because I will sacrifice my flesh for your sins. He goes back to the manna. I am spiritually going to satisfy your thirst. You want to know who my family is? Let me tell you about my dad. I've seen him. None of y'all see him. You'd like Moses doing the, the manna thing? Moses didn't get to see God's face. It was hidden. And then when he got the little glimpse, remember when he came down from the mountain, what did all have to do? Turn off that halogen ball, Mo. That is too bright. He didn't even get to see God the Father. So Jesus says, hey, I've seen him. Let me tell you about my dad. I've seen him. He sent me, and I'm here to give you eternal life. Then the crowd argues, how can we feed on his flesh? This is the world's worst cannibal story I've ever heard. And Jesus says, I am the source of life. I am the source of life for you right now. 
and I am the source of life for eternal life. Can you see where Jesus has taken their questions and answered with the same answer time after time again? And who is he doing this in front of? Who's there watching the entire thing go down on this retreat? The retreat began with how many people? Around 13, Jesus and 12. Wasn't a really good seller until the food tray came in. Then you get 1,000 to show up for the retreat. That night, part of the crew goes on a boating trip and it goes bad. Jesus shows up and meets their need, right? So Jesus is there with the disciples who've been miraculously transported there. The crowd shows back up, and so the disciples get to listen to this interaction go on again. Pick up with me in verse 60. When many of, dis- when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to this? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who, would, who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Here's the hard part. Can you imagine people, who can listen to this? It's like American would be like, you're crazy. I get that this is this is no way. I'm just hungry. I just want breakfast. All you've said about seeing God and you're better than the whole manna thing and your spiritual life, I'm done. I'm checking out. And then they walk away. Notice he says in verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Those little D disciples right there. The definition of a disciple is those who walk with Jesus, those who follow Jesus. That's why I like the phrase followers of Jesus for Christians. So literally, they stop walking with him and they walk away. And I like Jesus. You shouldn't grumble about this. And remember John 2, 24 through 25 That little cliff note comes in really important because John teaches us right there that Jesus knows everything. And right here, this comes back up again because Jesus knows that they are murmuring or grumbling in their hearts about the information he has given them without it coming out. And he says, you find this offensive? What if, I, what if you were to see me ascend back to heaven? You want to be my disciples now? You're having a hard time with this? Wait, what would happen if you saw me ascend? Remember, the 12 disciples are listening to this. You think me being the bread of life is hard to understand? What if you saw me go back up? And Jesus lays it out that life is not physical. Do we believe that? He says, it is the Holy Spirit who gives life. And what I've been telling you is both physical and spiritual. 
Do we believe this morning that why you breathe, why you uh, can do what you do, why you walk is because of the gift of the Holy Spirit? Scientists will try to prove all over again because it's the synoptic connections, and I'm not saying there isn't truth to that, but the fact that we can live and breathe is sustained by the work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says it incredibly plainly here. You're worried about eating and bread? Yeah, it was good stuff. I fed you all and I saw the need and met the need. But you understand that actually breathing, actually living, living is the work of the Holy Spirit. And they walked away after hearing this. This is the point in the conference where you've gone from 12 to 12 in the day, then the big crowd, then you got the 12 at night, and then you got the big crowd. And this is where the crowd is reduced to those who really believe. Say it this way. This is the extraction of the nominal Christian. The nominal followers of Jesus are bailing at this point. This is the transition in Jesus' ministry where he goes from, man, that dude's all that, we want to make him king, which they did just a few verses ago. That guy's nuts. We ain't following no more. This is where the conference loses people. If you're leading the conference and you're in day two and you've gone from 12, 13 and you've got a big numbers and all of a sudden you go into day two and you got a mass exodus for the doors, you're not selling really well. At the end of your conferences or retreats you go through, you get those little cards that say, how do we do? Please give us your feedback. What was their feedback to Jesus? Turn around and walk away. We're not following you anymore. So this retreat comes to a close with a small group. Pick up with me in verse 66 again. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed, and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So that's the close of the retreat. And Jesus says, hey, you guys going to go too? You see me? We went on a hike. We saw the need. We met the need together. You guys went on a rowing thing at night. You guys had a need. I met that need. We had the crowd come again. I addressed their spiritual need, and they rejected it. Are you guys going to reject it too? Are you guys going to go away too? Here's the lesson of the entire retreat, boiled back down to these 12. And I love it that Simon Peter's the one that just declares it as clear as day. To whom shall we go? He said, Lord, King, Ruler, to whom shall we go? We don't have nobody else. You are it. You are it. You have the words of eternal life. We believe what you're saying. And not only are they true what you're saying, they are for eternal life. We believed in you, Jesus. And not only did we believe in you, but we're coming to, we're learning more about you. We're coming to know more and more about you. And we're also going to say, you are the Holy One of God. 
Peter, the fisherman. Cliff notes of all great theology about Jesus. If you could lead a conference and you get one person to understand all of this by at the end of the lesson, look how incredible a teacher Jesus was with his disciples. Took him through these life lessons, even being in the boat themselves, to get to this point. Do you believe that Jesus is the source of life? That's what he's asking the fellas. Do you believe me? I'm going to take you on a retreat. We're going to do it all together. And then at the end of the retreat, this is the main point. And the main point for us this morning, do you believe that Jesus is the source of life? Do you believe that all that? Would you be able at the end of this retreat with Jesus be like Peter and say, whoa, you are our king. You are the Lord. You are our ruler. And I like Jesus' response. Didn't I choose you? Don't get too cocky, Peter. You got the answer right. Kind of, kind of, you know, at this point, just to get a little pause, Peter did amazing right here. And I love Jesus' response. Peter, I chose you. I got you. You got this because I chose you. The Father sent you to me. Good job, Pete. Now, the whole group's there. Judas is sitting there. And Jesus knows too. By the way, you're going to betray me. The fellas, that's part of the plan. I got you. As we come to the end of the sermon this morning, do you believe that Jesus is the source of life? If you went through all of this with him, seeing needs, meeting a need without expecting anything in return, to learn to love with the life lesson of Jesus doing it with thousands and with 12. So this week, with one another, do you have someone or something else to turn to this morning? Because look at Peter. He says, who else would we go to? Is there someone or something else that when the going gets rough that you would go to? Or would you declare Jesus is that, the source? Are Jesus' words true? Because Peter says, you have the words of eternal life. Do you think this morning that what Jesus said here is true? We've been on the retreat together with him this morning. Is he true? Is what he says true? Then I love this about Peter. We're, we believed you. We're true. And look, we're learning. Are you excited as Peter to say, yeah, we believed you back when. We acknowledge you as our king and ruler. You have the words of eternal life and we're learning more about you. In our community, do our actions tell people that Jesus is the source of life? By the way you act this week and coming up or last week, would people be able to see, hey, the source of life for them is definitely Jesus. Do our words tell people that Jesus is the source of life? Because now we have to act it. Because remember, Jesus said, hey boys, we're going to do this together. We're going to feed the thousands together. But then when they got them together, Jesus shared truth. And they chose to reject him. So this week, as we go into the workplace, we go to wherever we're hanging out, where we, those with whom we live. Will they see it and will they hear it? And finally, can you share? Have the faith and the, the 
compassion that Jesus did to share truth with those around us. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.